going to be learning Lekuti Sichis. Silek Tazayim Parsha Shmois, the first Sicha. We're going to be using the Targum, the translation, into Lashon HaKadosh. Sefalaf. The Perusha El HaPasach, V'yakim El HaChadosh, HaVetzrayim, HaShalayadah, Yosef. In this week's Parsha, uh, it says that when a new king arose on Mitzrayim that did not know Yosef, so he took Rashi Setevis, V'yakim El HaChadosh, Yupirish, Rab Shmuel, Chad Omer, Chadosh Mamish, Chad Omer, Shinnishad Shukuzeresa. So Rashi, quotes the words of the and he explains that Rav and Shmuel argue regarding the translation of these words. One says that it means a new king, literally a new king arose on Mitzrayim. And the other one says it was the same king, but he was new in the senses that his decrees were new. Meaning is until that point in time, they were treating the Jewish people well. But at that point of time, he renewed his decrees, made new ones, which were not favorable to the Yiddin. The source of Rashi is from the Gemara. In Arab, it's also quoted in Saita. And over there, the Gemara explains the Maila, the, the, the reason for each one of these explanations. So, the opinion that says it was a new king, because the Pasuk says new. The second opinion that says that it was, he, he, he made new decrees because it doesn't say the usual expression it use, uses in Torah when it talks about a king, a new king. As we know already earlier in Bereshus, when it talks about the Malchei Adai, it always uses the expression as Vayamlech Vayimlech. He died and the new king uh, took over. So here the main point is not really the Vayamlech, because that's not really relevant. The main point is it doesn't say Vayimlech, it says Vayakim. Why say Vayakim Melachadash, a new king arose? It should have said, like it always does. So it must be that the word V'yakim is coming to teach us something else, which is that it's the same king, but rather V'yakim, he got up in the sense that he he did something new. He, he changed himself, that he went up against the Yidin and made decrees against them. So even though Rashi only explains the Pashat Pashat, why is he bringing both explanations? It's because both of these explanations are necessary according to the Pshat of the Pasik, and therefore he brings both. Now you also understand why Rashi quotes the words he should have only have mentioned the words because the argument between Rab and Shul is what does Chadash mean? Does it mean new king or does it just mean new decrees? Why is he quoting the words Vayakim Melech? It's because Vayakim Melech is really what it tells us the reasoning for each one of the explanations. Because according to the second interpretation that it's new decrees, that's because of the word Vayakim. That it doesn't say Vayimlech, it just says Vayakim. So it must be, uh, it means new decrees. While the words Melech is hidden the uh, for the first one, because as we said, the, you know, the simple translation, it says a melech chadash, a new king. That seems like very clear what it means. It's not just new decrees. It's, it's a melech chadash, not, you know, gzeirais of chadashes. Rather, it's a melech chadash. So le'idach, alpha pishu kolachem mishnei aprushim yesh yisrael, melegam kushi biyachas lapirsha acher, yikamak and kamoshin zvar, kama pa'amim hapirsha huva rishin hukav yes lapshutish mikra. So, on the other hand, even though each one of these Purushim have a certain quality, a certain Maila, and Mamela, since 
its maila is going to be a chasarin for the other pshat. Meaning is the, the, the maila that it has over the other pshat would obviously be a chasarin in the other interpretation. Nonetheless, as explained many times, the first pshat of Rashi is always the one which is close to Pshita Shanika, and that's the reason why he brings the first. The reasoning why, in our situation, the first pshat is the one which is close to the Pshuta Shanika. Aleph, the Pashtas, the Stabi Yisraelim, the Shachadish, Pirusha, Chadish Mamish, Asher Lemish, Inyan, Yachmikavan, Inyan, Nisha Malachu, Xerais, Azai, Chidish, the Xeris, Chidish, the Malachu. He says, because that's a simple interpretation of the words. When you say a Malachadash, it means literally new. Like, you need, like, why change the meaning of what the words mean? According to the other interpretation that I've explained, you need to say, what is a Malachadash? You're going to have to say like this. Since a Malach, the point of the Malach is to run the kingdom. And he runs the kingdom through his decrees that he makes. So therefore, by making new decrees, is basically like a new, uh, it's like a new king. It's like a new uh, reign, a new monarchy, because it's a totally different type of uh, r- rulership. So that's already a little bit of an interpretation. It's not the simple translation. And maybe I should just point out um, that, um, as, as Mephorshim explained in the Gemara, Lukuliyama, Lepashtis, it's, it's, it wasn't the same king, it's not the same Parai that was living by the times of Yosef. What they mean is that, that it was a new Parai, like uh, the first opinion is that it's a Melech Chadash, literally a new king. It means it was the same monarchy. So therefore they were, in a sense, it was the same monarchy, so they knew Yosef, it was part of their government. The government didn't change. While according to the second one, it's, it was a totally new government. It was a to- new monarchy. Um, so therefore, it was, uh, in a sense, that's, that's what it means. They didn't know Yosef because they had no you know, past relationship with him. Whatever uh, you know, treaties uh, and cars uh, that might have been there was gone because it's, it's, a, it's a new monarchy, a new, a new dynasty. Okay. So days the fee pierce of shaining the schatrix zeraisa akarfasaf lafash is a tevis shalayada that asa asnikilayada. According to the second shot, when it says the schatrix zeraisa, so what does the, the continuation of the pasuk means? It says it was a new king got up on the shrine that didn't know Yesa. So what does it mean he didn't know Yesa? It's, it's the same king, or according to the Mefarshim and the Gemara, it's the same monarchy. And if it's the same monarchy, how do all of a sudden do you forget what happened? You know, just a, a little while while earlier. It's, it's the same kingdom, it's the same, nothing has changed from one day to the next. The same people living in the kingdom, nobody remember what happened. It's hard to say. So it explains that He needs to say he made himself as if he didn't know. Right? So obviously he did know, but he made himself as if he didn't know. As Rashi himself over here writes, that that he didn't know means he made himself like he didn't know. Rashi adds the word the Vav, even though it's not the actual Lashon Lapasik, is Rashi's trying to stress that the Vashir Layada, this shot that he's gonna give of Asa Atzbikilayada is only according to the uh, second interpretation, the one that he just finished off. So the Vav is always connect. So he finishes off by saying the second interpretation that it was Nishachu the Guzei And according to that, what does this mean? It means that he made himself like he did not know. So Rashi puts the Vav there to stress that it's a continuation of, you know, of, of his previous sentence, in a sense. According to the first shot that he didn't know, you can learn a Kapshutai. It's a new king. Itaka did not know Yosef.
So you could learn it so that's a big Milo. So again, so Milo number one is you could translate the words Chadash, new, literally. Second Milo is that when it says a Sholayada says, if you could also translate that literally. Masha'inkin according to the other Pshat, you need to, in a sense, not translate it so literally. Gimel. Even the question that we do have on the first Pshat, why doesn't the Pasuk say V'yimlech? That's always the words that the Torah uses when it talks about a king becoming a king. So you can answer like this. He says, the Torah over here is not coming to tell us the history of Malchim Mitzrayim. Like earlier, when I was talking about the Malchim Edom and uses this type of expression, that was because it was talking about the history of the kings, so therefore it uses that expression. But over here, it's in a different context. Over here, the context is not about their history, rather to tell us what's relevant to the Jewish people, how, you know, the Jewish people were doing so well in Mitzrayim, and all of a sudden, you have, a, they're, they're slaves. So the reasoning is because they made new decrees, that they afflicted them with new, with hard, uh, new decrees. Therefore, it's not relevant over here, the idea of a Yamas life, rather only what came out of that, which is connected to the Jewish people, Shahi Malach, Shakoma Bene Israel, Bixes, What's relevant only is that this is a king that came upon the Jewish people with new Xeris. So therefore, even according to him, the Vyakim fits, because it takim means it's a totally new king. Why does it use the word Vyakim? Because it's again, it's not to stress that it was the new king. It happened to be a new king. And that explaining that it's a new king is telling us how in a, uh, how they forgot about Yosef, but it also has the Milo by saying Vayakim, the word Vayakim is telling us um, that he got up against the Jewish people. So in a sense, the first shot is able to use the Milo of the second shot, that the very Vayakim also means getting up, going against the Jewish people. So it also works uh, even according to the set, first shot, but he doesn't have to give the doichik in a sense of saying that it means um, he could learn it means literally a new king. And still, this new king was calm. He went up against the Jewish people and he uses that expression because that's the main emphasis over here. Therefore, the first shot is closer to the Pshut Base. According to this, we could also explain why Rashi brings the names of each opinion, Rav Shmuel. As explained many times, Rashi only mentions the names of the of the author of a certain Mimer only if this answers some type of question that a sharp student would come up with. And the reason why Rashi over here would quote Rav Shmuel, because this explains the reasoning of their machlekes, why one says chadash mamash, one says so we can understand the reasoning of the machlekes based on their names, and that would answer a particular question that a sharp student would come up with, as we'll see at the end of the sicha. Ubehakta. He says this is a, a rule that whenever the Gemara mentions 
the names of the Balamimer. It says Rav and Shmuel. And then it doesn't say what each one says. It just says Chadam or Zad. One says this, one says the other. But it doesn't say who actually said what. The rule is that the first name the Gemara mentioned said the first thing. And the second name the Gemara mentioned would be the second thing. Uh, so that, that would mean in our situation, it says Rav Shmuel. That means Rav would be the first one to speak. And that would be Abiyakim uh, al So Rav is the one that says it was literally a new king. While Shmuel, who was the second one to speak, would be the one that said that it was just the Schachuk Zeraisa. Vihine, Bikalam Machlik is the Rav Shmuel Bepirush Haksud and Shubigamara, Biuchin Elishuvu, Bizumun Hadam or Bukul of Hadam or Hulu, Rayanu Derkshal Shitasa Itzaklachma. He says we find by the Machlikis of Rav Shmuel in how they explain Psukim as it's brought in the Gemara. Especially when these machlekes between Rav Shmuel are brought in this type of expression of Chad Amar Chad Amar, we find a certain style. It means they have a certain shita. Each one has a certain shita how to translate psukim. Harishon Rav Noiket Keikers Ateva Ay Tevaish Hagam Shlefize Ain Teifin Inimach Rakolkach. He says the first one Rav his he always takes the literal translation of the word as the main uh, basis of the meaning even if that doesn't fit as well according to the Teichen. So if you have an option to translate it more, it has to obviously make sense, but if it could be make sense according to the simple interpretation of the words, but according to the larger context, it would be better to translate a little bit differently. Rav always says, translate the words literally, even if according to the context, it would be maybe be translated better if you don't translate it literally. which is Shmuel, if while Shmuel says, you want to uh, explain it according to the toichen, according to the context of the psukim, even if in that situation the words wouldn't be translated as literally, wouldn't fit in as well. So in other words, when there's two ways of explaining uh, a word or a few words in a pasik, so let's say there's two options, so which option should you choose? And obviously both of them would work, and each one has its advantages. So Rav says you look at the advantage which fits with the more literal translation of the word, while Shmuel says you rather take the translation that fits better with the context, even though if it doesn't fit as well with the words. So Ludugma. I was going to give a bunch of examples. Dugma number one. So we, uh, it says by Yosef, when he came home to do his work, this is referring to when he was a slave by the Paitifar, and Aisha's Paitifar tried to seduce him. So it says that all of the people in the house went for some type of holiday, and then Yosef came to the house to do his work. And at that point, she tried to seduce him, and she grabbed his clothes, and he left his clothes in the house, and he ran away. And then when um, Paitifar came back, the wife said that uh, you know Yosef tried to rape her, and they put him in jail. So what, what is the meaning of the words that he came to his house to do the work? He said, So one says it means he literally came to do his work, like his, he had a job. The other one he says he came to do his needs, meaning is his needs with her. So he came to do an aver with her. So Rav says he literally came in to do malachta, as the Pasuk translates. While Shmuel, based on the context, will say it means he came to do his work with her. So Harisha but if you look at the continuation,
Because if you look at the continuation of the Pasik, the Pasik tells us afterwards that there's no one else in the house. There's no one else there. So what type of work? He comes to do work at the house, and there's no one else in the house at that point of time. So it's coming to tell us that what type of work is needed when Ein Ish Babais, it means he came to do his last Yisrochid with her. That's one way of explaining the Hachrech according to the Teichon HaKsuvim. But if an after Acher, another way of uh, learning the Hachrech of Shmuel is Im Loikein, Har La'acher, She'eshe Ptif HaKvar Amur Lai, Kodim Lachem. Shachva Imi V'dibre, Al Yesef Yom Yom, Neshkavetz La, Laha Yiba, Al Abayis, V'yav HaBayis, Kasher Ein Ish, Man Shabayis V'demer. Okay, move on, Shabbat, Kedi Lasa Srochem. The other Eifin is, Eishos Petifar has already been trying to seduce him for many, for many days. She tells him to sleep with me, and she's talking to him day after day, sleep with her. So why would Joseph come to the house when there's no one else there except for her? So it must be, he's coming to do his work, and the only one's there is the wife. Like, that sounds like a very bad idea. Therefore, it's understood that he came to do his Srochem. Okay, so again, so the first example is that the other have isolas and malachai, Rob learns it, malachai, mamish, very literal. While according to Shmuel, he says, look at the context. If you're looking at the context, the Pasik's trying to build up a scene over here. That A, if the Pasik's telling us that he's coming to do his work and no one else is there, he's coming to do a job when no one else is in the house. So it must be he's trying to do a job that he needs to be alone for. And the second point is, he knew that Aishas Pektifar was trying to seduce him. Why would he be there alone with her? Must be that he's trying to do his shrachah with her. Uh, Example number two, base. Al Apostle in Megillus Asim, Mahidu Akush Isabuan. The Pasik, the first Pasik, it tells us that Achashverosh ruled over 127 kingdoms from Haidu until Kush. The Mar tells us, Rab Shmuel, Chad Aimer Amar, Haidu Besaifa Elam, Kush Besaifa Elam. Achad Aimer, Haidu Bekush, Gabi Hadadi Havikaim. Exchange Shemalach, Al Haidu Bekush, Kach Malach, Besaifa Elam, Ad Saifa. First opinion says that Haidu and Kush were at two uh, opposite extremes, two opposite areas of the world. And he's telling us that the 127 kingdoms, he ruled all the way from Haidu until Kush, the whole world. The other one says, no, Haidu and Kush are two countries that are actually right next to each other. And we're trying to say, just like he was a king over these two countries, meaning is, when you have two countries together, it's very easy to control them, right? But when you have kingdoms spread out across the world, it's, you know, the farther you, it is from where you are, it's much harder to control that kingdom. He's trying to tell us that just like he was able to control Hoyd Bakush, which are right next to each other, he was also able to control even those kingdoms were, which were all the way at the other, uh, other end of the world. So he's trying to say that he ruled over 127 kingdoms, and all those 127 kingdoms were like Hoyd Bakush. He had as much control as he had over the two kingdoms, Hoyd Bakush, which were right next to each other. So, similar idea we find. That it says that he ruled uh, from the, on the other side of the river, from Tipasach and Azza, and Rav Shmuel has the same achlaik as Azamin, that Tipasach was at one end of the country and Azza was at the end, other end, and he ruled from one end to the next. Or does it mean Tipasach and Azza were next to each other? We're trying to say he ruled over the, that area as if, you know, as, as, he had as much control as these two cities which were next to each other. Fine. So what's these Svars machlaik? So Chal Mefarsh and Mad Gishasateva Ad. Uh, the first one, Rav, learns the word Ad, he's stressing the word and translating the word Ad, which means until, which is a physical 
area. And the pshat of the pasuk would be is it's trying to express how much of how large his kingdom was that he ruled from one end of the world to the other, from Haidu all the way until Kush. But on the other hand, since the Pasik tells us that he ruled over 127 kingdoms, so telling us he ruled over 127 kingdoms, that, that, that includes within it the whole world. So why are you telling us Haidu and Kush? Haidu is one end, the Kush is that other. If that's just another way of saying that he ruled over the whole world. Once you told us that he ruled over the 127 countries of the known world at that point of time, we already know that he's ruling the entire globe. So why tell us from Haidu Kush? It seems redundant. It seems repetitive. Therefore, we can't say that the words means from one end to the other end, like the simple translation, because then it's redundant. Therefore, Shmuel holds that the Pasuk is coming to stress, just like he ruled from uh, who ruled over Haid Vakush, similarly he was able to rule from one end and to the other or uh, other end of the world with that same level of authority and strength. And this is trying to show how strong his kingdom was. It's not trying to show the size, it's rather to show how secure and powerful his kingdom was. That's another 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 example of this machoikas of Rav Shmuel. If you're going after the literal translation of the word ad, which means until, which is a physical space, or do we look at the context? Which, hey, this is redundant if we just translate that way. Therefore, it must be odd means Mahayudu um, Kush is trying to tell us, even though they're right next to each other, but we say Mahayudu Ba'at Kush, which of course he had such powerful uh, control, similarly, he had control over the rest of the world. Sivdad, Gimel. Shriya Machlaikas, I'm a voice of the Gemara Leil, Lafneha Machlaikas, Sopasik, Gakamal, Hajjfashasin. In that Gemara, it brings a few earlier Machlaikas in. Um, also regarding Pesukim, before the Machlekes regarding Yaakim Al-Achadosh, which was in our parsha. So the Rebbe is saying, we mentioned Machlekes of Yaakim Al-Achadosh first, because that's relevant to our parsha. but if you look in the Gemara, there's earlier Pesukim. So, Amrafa. So it says in the days of Amrafa, we know this is the story that um, the, the king Amrafa and the four kings fought against the five kings of Sudayim, and they captured light, and then Avram came and chased after them, and uh, defeated them, and saved um, light. So Rav Shmuel, Chad Amr Nimrait Shmai, Velam Aniku Shmai Amrafel Shnamar Hipala Avram Avinu Batech Kifshan Eish. So Amrafel is really Nimrait. So the question is, what's his real name? Is his real name Amrafel? Is his real name uh, Nimrait? So one says his real name was Nimrait. I. So why are you calling him Amrafel? Because Amrafel means Amar Pil. That he said, Shamar. That he said, let's throw Avram. He said, throw Avram Avinu to the Kifshan, to the furnace, a fire. No, the real name is Amrafel. Why was he called Nimrite? Because he incited the whole world to rebel against Hashem's Machus. So the feet Pirushan Hapashat Shalatevis for Kush Yolavis Nimrite, Hai Nimrite, he corrupted the Ruba Shalashemis, Kaim Tabachal, Shem Shain Circle Hapish Latam. He says, Okay, we're going to go into the According to the simple interpretation of the Pasik, the first Pasik we find that mentions Nimrod, it first mentions Nimrod, uh, and only much later in Pashas and then only later when Avram's fighting against him, it mentions him as the second name of Amrafa. So he says, when you're reading the Torah, when you come to the words that Kush, that Kush gave birth to Nimrod, so Nimrod would mean like 
like the majority of the names of the Torah, by the majority of the majority of the names of the Torah, the names here mentioned in Parshas Noyach and the Torah B'chlal, that it's a shame that you don't need to find reasons for. The Torah generally when it mentions the name doesn't try to find reasons. There are, of course, many times it does. Uh, but look at R29, they're bringing sources for this. The Re'e, the Rav Ibn Ezra, do not search for a reason for all the names. And to the higher that the style of the Ibn Ezra was to explain the simple interpretation of the words. The So if he's coming to translate the words literally, so when he's basically saying the word Nimrod, is should be understood as that's his real name. That's the name Nimrod. It's not just a euphemism or a nickname given to him for some reason. Okay, so that's what you would think when you read the first time the word Nimrod. So later on, when you read the Behime Me Rachel, even though you know his real name is Nimrod, but the Torah over here gives him a different name. So you must say that the reason why the name is Shane is because of a special reason, which is hinted in the new name. So based on this, that the Torah mentions it twice, and why would it change? It must be because there's a reasoning for it. So based on that, we say, uh, now be the reasoning of Rah. He says, that's how you'd read the Pesukim Kepshuta. Usually a, a, a name doesn't have a reason. So it says, Nimrod, Kushyola, Nimrod, you have to assume that's Kepshuta. If the Torah gives another lane later on, it must be for a reason. And that's why Rav explains it means Shehipola, that, you know, Shehipola, But if you're looking like Shmuel does, he says, you've got to look at the Torah, you got to look at the context of the Pesukim. If you look at, Right after the Pasuk tells us that Kush gave birth to Nimrod, the Tar continues and explains his rebellion against Hashem, that he began to be a mighty person in the, in the earth, and he was a strong, mighty individual in front of God or against God. Therefore, they, they said that uh, Nimrod, just like Nimrod, he was a Gibrit side, like a strong individual going against Hashem. So, Azai Bachan Amr, Sharichas, Asifar, Balavar, Lama, Nimrod, Nimrod. So Shmuel says, why is it telling us about this history about Nimrod that he was, everyone calls him, you know, anybody who rebels against God is called Nimrod, just like Nimrod was, Gibrit Tzaylef Hashem. You know, and it's talking about his rebellion. It must be that it's coming to tell us what the name Nimrod is. Like, why does he have the name Nimrod? So that's not his new real name. But Master Inkin later on, when it says, does Tar doesn't explain to us why his name is Amrafal. So therefore, it must be that's his real name. That is his name. So earlier on, when it, was, when it wasn't his real name, so the question is, why is he not giving the real name? So Tar tells us it's because he caused rebellions against Hashem. Therefore, he got the name Nimrod. Master Inkin, later on, when it's just uh, talking about a story about the kings fighting and four against five kings, it just gives his real names because the rebellious part of him is not relevant. And it just calls an Amrafal. So again, we see this idea where Rav will go more according to the simple interpretation of the Psukim, while Shmuel looks more at the context. Sifhei. An example number David. Ma'ar Samach Pela, Rav Shmuel. Chama Mershtei Batan Lefnim Zem. Zem. Chama Mershtei Batan Lefnim Zem. The doubled cave. So what does that mean? 
So one says it means it's two houses, one with, or two rooms. Bakhtim usually in the Talmud means rooms. So it says two houses, it really means two compartments, one within the other. So there's an outer compartment and the inner compartment. So the cave, you'd go in, you'd have one, and I guess it would be a doorway to a more inner compartment. While the second opinion says that the cave was like, uh, it was one floor, and then it had a second floor uh, on top of it that you could access. So the according to the opinion that Mar says that says that it's a double, it's one on top of each other, two caves. That's why it's called the double cave, because it's it's in a, because it's double. There's two of them. There's one on top of the other. There's two totally separate areas where to put the graves. But according to the opinion that it's two rooms, one within the other, that's how all caves are like. There wasn't anything chiddush about that. Many caves have two rooms. It doesn't get the designation of a doubled cave. It's one cave with two rooms. If it's double, if one on top of the other, then it's really, uh, I guess, first of all, it wasn't as common. And um, I guess that's the reason why they're going. It probably wasn't as common, and it was like a totally different uh, area. So why would it be called Machpelah? It was because it was doubled because the, the, the caves were set up in a way that it was made for pairs, for couples. So they would bury the so that it was made in a way that it was doubled with couples. So it wasn't like a one and another one. It was made up of a kavar which were able to put two next to each other. So this machaik is according to their svara their, their in general. Which is Maira Achas, a Klala Batecha Kvelis. Masam appears, Kfulu Bazuga Sheshva Kvarm Kfulin. A Yesamashir appears by Spilok Agab. With Sadi's simple interpretation, it means Ma'aras, the cave which is doubled. So it's one cave which has inside of it something which is doubled. What is that? It's doubled in Zugais, or has Kvarm, it has the, the Kvarm, the, 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 the graves are doubled. As I said, they're by groups of two. So that fits a lot better than a bias for a li al gaba, because that sounds like it's two caves. Uh, in this one, it's one cave that has an union of kbelis within it. He said the befrat should bestay ma'aris zu al gabi zu al gabi zu har eikiv hayosam b'hadama ena ma'ar hal yena tluya v'anedas al gabi achtachtonik me'aliyah bias. The second of all, especially, he says when you talk about caves, they're not the pe- the second, the higher cave is not resting on top of the first cave. It's not like a house and you have a, like an attic or a second floor, that the second floor is being held up by the first floor. So it's in a sense one cave, which one house with two floors to it. Over here, it's two separate caves. They're not really dependent on each other. If, even if the, the bottom cave was filled in, the second cave was able to be there. Even if it was uh, uh, you know, destroyed, it could still stay on its own because it's not being held up by the bottom one, you know, obviously depending how the cave was a fashion. Uh, therefore, the first opinion says that, what does it mean? It was Kfula Bezugis. That was the main point. That was called Ma'aslech Pela because it was doubled. But if you look at, like Shmuel does, if you look at the Teichon of the Ksuvim, it's hard to explain that we're referring to a Barsa Machpelah means a room within a room, and the reason why it's called doubled is because of Kfula Bezugais. These things of Avram, Avram was taking B'nei Ches, and he was requesting, he was making a request from them. 
He says he bows down to the Amaharts and he says to them, if you can find it within your nefesh and you know, within your soul. So my request, uh, his precaution was to bury my dead, one my one dead, Blashen Yachid. He's trying to bury just one individual and, and it's the dead person's in front of me. Why is he stressing it's in front of me? Because it's, it, you know, that's in order to, I, I need to bury this dead individual. This will help me weaken the tsar, the great anguish that I'm feeling. So we're seeing that he's trying to, in a sense, make less his bakasha, that he's trying to make his pain stronger, and he's trying to make the request as small as possible. Like if you you know if you're able to do anything for me to bury my one mace. So So how does that make sense? And he then he then asks them, Oh, could you give me the doubled cave, the cave which is doubled with Zugais that has enough for eight farm? Why would he ask for something that has eight farm? So according to Shmuel, it didn't Adam Chava that whole not necessarily where they all actually buried over there. It was just maybe a regular cave, one on top of the other. So that would fit better that he was just asking for a simple cave, not a cave that had eight kvar. So just to, to recap, according to this machlekes Rabbi Shmuel over here by Mars Machpela, Mars Machpela means the cave which is doubled. Why would it be called the cave which is doubled? So Vorev wants to say it's uh, one room within the other. I, so why is it called double? How is it doubled? According to the opinion that it means one room on top of the other, so Rashi explains over there, it means that there's two ceilings. It's doubled, meaning is it's like uh, two floors. It's a doubled, it's one on top of the other, you know, kind of like a doubled sukkah. So here over here, it's a doubled, uh, a doubled cave. One on top of the other, you have two ceilings. Masha'inkin, uh, when it's one within the other, how is this double? It's just like two different caves. It's two caves. One and then there's another cave. It's nothing which is doubled. Mashenking um, when it's one on top of the other. In a certain sense, they're one. It is one structure. So, but the problem with each one of these pshatim. So Rav prefers to say that it means double, doubled in couples because ma'ara we mean one cave which has something which in it which is doubled. Mashenking according to the pshat that it's one on top of the other. There's no real connection between one cave on the on one the bottom one and the top one. True by a house, when you have two floors, they're connected to each other. By a cave, they're not really so connected. But Shmuel says, no, it makes more sense to say that they, that it means it's one floor on top of the other, because why would Avram Vina be asking for eight kvar? Rather, he must be talking about asking for a cave, which has a certain uh, interesting feature in it, which it itself is doubled because it has two, two ceilings. Sivvav. So according to this, now we could also explain in our situation. Again, our question was about Biyatim al-Khadash. Rav wants to say it means literally new, because it says Khadash. While Shmuel wants to say no, it means it was new decrease. So just start by telling us why does the Torah need to start telling us that there was a new king that rose over Mitzrayim? Why didn't it just start by telling us right after it tells us, you know, it should have first told us about the phenomenal growth of the Jewish people, that because of that, the Melech Mitzrayim says, look how powerful these people are going to come and they might attack us, therefore we need to outsmart them and 
tell us that part of the story about how they were growing and then they got scared and the Malchut tribe said, Haban the Mayafkimina, if this was a new king or not, who cares if it's a new king? So Habir Bezebapashtas, so the simple explanation is, Kwanas Akasahi Lasalak Tamiya. Eifi Takan Shagazak Zeris Pari Gazak Zeris me ain Elu al Amisra Ami Yasif. Frata Bene Yasif Lach Kalateva Shagamu Imaival Am Vim Eritz Ryan. The question is, how could it be that Pari was made such horrible decrees? Pasha made them slaves to the people of Yasif especially the children of Yosef, after all the good that Yosef did to him, and then the people of Mitzrayim. Therefore the Pasim tells us it was a new king that didn't know Yosef. Therefore it's not such a strong Chiddush how he was able to make these Gzairs, because it was a new king, let's just at this point learn it like Ra, either literally, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a new king, or saying it was a new regime. But the point is they had no uh, you know, they, they, Yosef and his people had no power in his government anymore as a new king or a new regime. Therefore, Yosef was, uh, wasn't relevant anymore. You know, it was like, for example, being good with the Tsar, that didn't really help you much to be good with the communists. On the contrary, <laughs> if you're good with the Tsar, that might have gotten you in trouble with the communists. So, Meshaif is Lakach, maybe Rashi is Shemus Bala Hemaimer, Rav Haim. So connected to this, Rashi brings the names of the Balahamim, the Rav Shmuel, to tell us that they're going according to their Shita, that Rav's looking at the power of the word, while Shmuel is looking at the Teichim. So this explains the mile of each one of the Purushim. Chad Amr L'Shita, say Rav says, Pirush is a Tevis, V'yakim al-Chadash shalayyada seyesu kipshutan, Kam al-Chadash lahikas yesu l'chein gozak, t'kal zeyesu elu, he explains it very literal. There's a new king, didn't know Yosef, and therefore he was able to make these gzeris against the Jewish people. No big deal. But if you look at the context of the Kusukim, it's still very hard, even if it was a new king. Um, still, it's very hard to know that he didn't know, he for, for sure knew about the Maisa Yosef, which brought Hatzalah for the, all the, the, the people of Mitzrayim. And this just happened one generation earlier. The people that saved your kingdom, you're going to go and try to enslave them. It's still a hard concept to understand. I mean, I guess in our generation, looking at the communists and other things like that, you could see this happening. Uh, but still, there, there is a certain uh, uh, issue with that. After such a tzala, these people should have been very popular. So even if the kingdom didn't like them, the people at least should have protected them. Um, whatever it is, the people, the government, people knew what, what happened. People knew what they've done for the country. There should have been some type of a car. So type, again, this doesn't upshot the pshat, obviously. So Rav Pshat, we can still easily answer that. You know, obviously, they didn't have the car. So type, but still... It's still a problem with the Teichon Aksumim. Ubefrat Shapar Hichlet Al Gzeirzu Yachnan Amitzah Imamitzah Am B'Mitzrayim. The Yomer Amayim Mishakol. Especially since we know that Pari made this achlata with the people of Mitzrayim, he said to his nation, "Let us be cunning with them." Shabavada Himetzuim B'Neim Kamashayim B'Vazman Maaseh Yosef and Itzul Yada. And for sure, there were many that were saved. They were tired. They were still alive from you know the younger kids. The people would have been there by, by when Yosef was still alive and Yosef saved them. 
אם כן, הרי יש שכח בכל עת למען דמר זה, לפרש שלא ידע, אני שעוס אספק ליד. So even according to Rav, he still needs to say that Lo Yadah means he made himself that like he didn't know. Because even if he was a new king or a new regime, and he had no Akar Satayv to Yosef, but still, he knew who Yosef was. And he knew that Mitzrayim owed Yosef and his family a debt. So, Asher Lo Yadah, you need to say is that he didn't care. He made himself like he didn't care or didn't know what Yosef did, and he didn't show any national debt to Yosef and his family. So even according to Rav, you still need to explain it, Asa Asmai, Ki'ilu Layada. Ulechein, Mechad Amr, Shepas, Ekzeh, Ini, Rak, In, Maim, Ha, Musker, Fishu, L'shitas, Chad Amr, Shepas, Maliyashu, Eich, Ayipar, Yachal, Ikzer, Gzeh, Therefore, according to Shmuel, this passage is not just like a Maim, Ha, Musker, which is coming to tell us uh, how could power make such a decree against the Jewish people. Ela, Bekach, Ba'chaz, Levat, Had, Fish, Pesem, Latoichen, Ingim, Sug, Shach, but rather, the Pasuk is coming to stress the rishos of Pare, as the, the Pasuk is going to tell us about the trickery and the evilness of Pare, uh, and this fits very well with the whole parasha, which is talking about the rishos of Pare. So, Therefore, according to this opinion, since he's saying the toichen of the sugar to say how how much of a rush it was, um, then therefore the stress is that even when he was the same king, the same one who owed favors to Yosef and his family, he made himself like he didn't know. Because this expresses better the rishos. So even though according to this shot you have to say malachadish, it doesn't mean a new king, it just means the schadrish perisav, but it better expresses the toichen of the ksuvin. So in other words, really, both... Purushim, we need to say V'yakim al-Achadash, Psalm, it's the word V'yakim, as we said at the beginning of the Sikha, V'yakim means he went against the Jewish people, and tried to stress how he went against the Jewish people. And Melachadash, it's a new king, that also this new king didn't know, or made himself not know about Yosef. So according to Shmuel, now you have two options. So we're going to say, it just means, you know, let's translate it literally, it means a new king, and Asa Atzmechalayada, or we look at the Teichel. Since anyways, we have to say that he's making himself not know like Yosef, so he's ready, it's expressing his rishas over here. When it says, it's not trying to get rid of a tamiyah that he didn't, it's trying to more express the idea of his rishas as the psukim continue telling how he tried to trick the, the Jewish people. And he was, uh, especially I think uh, some of the fortunates tell us that it didn't even make sense what he was saying. Why would the Jewish people fight against the Egyptians? The Jewish people living in the best of the land, they were appreciated citizens, they were doing well there. So why if someone would attack Mitzrayim, would the Jewish people go join with them to attack Mitzrayim? Why would they do that? They're having fantastic lives, as we see the history of the Jewish people throughout all the ages. Whenever they were living in a country that was fantastic to them, they always stood by their country. And, and that's just human nature. So again, it's just his rishos. Sivzayim. Al-Pizeh, Ashul Levayer, Machleikis Nesaf, Shevi Rashi, Purusha, Al-Atayr, B'Shem Rab, Shmuel, Ashul, the figures, Tzisein, Begumar, Medra, Zui, Machleikis, Ben and according to this, we could explain another machlekes that Rashi brings in the Torah in the names of Rav and Shmuel, even though in our gears of the Gemara and the Madras is actually different uh, Chachamim, it's actually Rav Yehuda and Nechamiah, but Rav has the gears of Rav and Shmuel, and that's what he brings in the Torah. So according to this whole way that we're learning, we can also explain that machlekes. It says in the Papasik, it says by Rav Mavinu that he planted an Eshal in Be'er Shava for his guests, and he made them call the name of Hashem. 
So Pirush Rashi is a Tevas Eishel, Rav Shmu Chad Amar Pardis, the Havi Menu Peres Leichem Suda, Chad Amar Pundik Lachsani. Oboi, call me Neimaychon. Tzino Lashinetia Ba'ilim Shnamar Gchulu. One says it means a orchard, and the purpose was to bring fruits for his guests during the meal. Another one says it means a inn for guests, and he had all different types of food over there. Ah, how does it fit the Lashon Ve'yita, which means planted? Because we find the Lashon and the also by Oyolim, they also use this expression of, uh, of planting, because in a sense, when you put it, because the pegs of the tent, which you plant into the ground. According to the simple interpretations, any plant, Ve'yita, Eishol, it's make more sense that we're talking about fruits, because you're using the expression Ve'yita, Ve'yita is usually a word that is used by planting. Um, and that's Taku what Rav holds. And that's how the Ibn Ezra explains, the Targum explains it. Another one says, look at them, what the Pasuk's talking about. Over there it's saying is the Yita Eishel in Eir Shava, and he called, and he made call, everybody call the name of God. Through the Eishel, then Hashem's name was called. So, so he says it makes more sense to say that we're not just talking about fruits, uh, you know, but rather it's talking about the actual inn. Because then, if there's an inn, they stay there for a certain amount of time. To give a few fruit to some guests, that means they're there for an hour or two, and that's it. If there's an inn, that means they could have been there for days, and there's all different types of food. And this would awaken the passerbys to bless Hashem for all these good things which were done to them. Even though, according to Shmuel, the word doesn't fit as well, and he even, Rashi needs to bring a proof that sometimes we see that the word oil, that the netia could be used also even by a tent. So over here, we're going to also use it by uh, Avram's tent, meaning his inn. Because uh, I mean, as we know, Avram's tent was obviously, Avram's inn wasn't, was really a tent. Okay. Sifchas. Until this point, we've given many examples of this machloikis, which was brought in the Gemara and the Medrash, regarding machloikis of Rav Shmuel. And I believe, so this would probably be, um, Six examples, right? The one of Yachim al Chadash plus the five we just mentioned until here. Abu Nigel appears Rashi Latayra Kasha Lamish is Ewa Tam Shehidi Khan Rashi as Shemoisim Sharab Shmuel. Be Lashmiina Lashmiin is also the Shitasayu. Kidfiza Hilo the Rashi the Haski Shemoisim the Holmakim Shahidi Acham Shitasam. So he says, even though we mentioned earlier that the reasoning why Rav and Shmuel mentioned in our Kasik, because it wants to explain the Hachrek, wants to explain better why each one says what they do. That Rav says it's a Malachadish because he always explains that, because by knowing it's Rav, you're saying, oh, because he's translating the literal word. And then when you see the name Shmuel, you know, Shmuel always looks at the Teichen. So he's doing the Schach, because so that tells you, look at the Teichen and the Ksuvim, and you can see that's talking about the Rishas of power, so therefore it's talking about the Schach, even though it's the same king. He says, it's hard to tell us that that would be the reason why Rashi mentioned the names, because Ibezoi, Rashi should mention the names of Rav and Shmuel whenever he mentions, whenever he brings them a Chlaikis with them, a Chadamr, Chadamr. So whenever there's an argument what the word of the Pasuk mean, and it's really a machlek is Rav Shmuel, Rashi should say Rav Shmuel, and that would help us understand why the words are being translated in that particular way, but he doesn't. 
So what, so must be that that's not the reason he's bringing their names, or at least not the only reason he's bringing their names here. He says, the only time Rashi brings the names Rav and Shmuel is when he explains our Pasuk, and also by Yosef when it says, But the other places in the Torah, Rashi does not bring Rav and Shmuel. He's going to tell you where. Remember, we had a machlekes about the, what his real name was. Was it Nimrod Aram Raphael? So the Pirusha Lapasik Lies Gibor Pirush Lahamrit Kala Ilam Al Kadish Baruchu. So Rashi says that he was a Gibor, he was a mighty one. So what does that mean? To incite the world to rebel against Hashem. The Chidush that the like Eifin Abita Al Ralga Shogvur Bepshuta Shemikah Vachamakim Shemash Ma Yis Gibor Kan He Lahamri Mekayer B'Shem Nimrod. And this is not this Chidush not to translate word Gibor usually. Meaning is, if you're looking at the Pasuk, I would think Yezgiver means that he was a warrior. He was a warrior in front of Hashem. He was a powerful person. He conquered the world. He started the kingdom. But Rashi tells us, no, that's not what it means over here. Rather, it means he was strong. He was a Giver in the senses that he was strong and that he was able to fight against Hashem. So where does Rashi get that? Because of his name, Nimrod. So since he's called Nimrod, then it's understood that when it says he's a Giver, that means he was someone who was fighting or felt that he was strong, and he was strong, I guess, to fight against the Shem. Uh, uh, in Parshas Lach Lacha, it says uh, by the name Amraphel that this is Nimrod that told Avraham Pool that he should throw him, he said to Avraham that he should throw him into the Kitchen Aish, which is Mashma Shinimrod is Shemai, that implies that the name is really Nimrod. He does not point out that one, the first thing that he mentioned was from Rav, and the second thing he mentioned was from Shmuel. Right? Meaning is that in Parshish Noyach, um, when he translates Gibor as rebelling against Hashem, that comes because of the name Nimrod. So he's understanding that the name Nimrod does have a translation. It's not just a name. It means something. It means he rebelled against Hashem. Uh, while the second time when it says Amraphel, He's he's translating it Amr uh, Lavram the pool, so he's translating according to Shmuel, and neither place does he say this is Rab, and this is according to Shmuel. Uh, just to point a look at R fifty three, this is to prove that the the, re, the way that uh, the reason why Rashi explains Gibber to mean Mahamrid is based on the name Nimrod. He says Pasuk Tesh Shampir Shrashi Matim Nimrod Bamakin, and he tricked them. To or, or he caused them to make the mistake to rebel against Hashem, escaping them right by. Keep on seeing how Rashi is using the Gibor translations idea of limrite to rebel. So fine, that is a very clear that that's where he's getting it from. Look at R fifty-five. Don't ask. That according to this, Rashi is really like neither interpretation because according to Rav, his real name was Nimrite, and he was also called, but he got another name, Amrafa, because of a reason. But um, there's only, only Amrafa has a reason for the name. While according to Shemot, it's the other way around. Nimrod has a reason for that name, but his real name was Amrafa, which we don't need a reason. So don't ask, like, hi, how could Rashi give reasons for both? According to neither opinion, do both names have a reason? He's fine in many places that individuals could have two names, and they both have a meaning. 
called Yaakov because he held on to the Akub of Esav. Skip the parentheses. And Yisrael, Kisirisa, Lekim, and He also had a second name, Yisrael, which one's, because he fought with Elikim, and Ah, how could he have two names? Which one's the real one? The point is, you could have two names, and both of them have uh, a meaning to it. So that's not a problem that he brings down both, because according to Shemikra, names do not have to have a reason, but they could have a reason. And if you have multiple names, each of them could technically have a reason for that name. But the point the Rebbe is bringing down is, why doesn't he bring down the names of Rav and Shmuel. Say the first one was Rav, and that'll explain how he, or sorry, the first one was Shmuel, and you can sound like, oh, how did he get that? That Nimr means to rebel. And by the second one, you could say it's Rav, and that will explain how he got the name, that, and he knows what the name Amrafel means. Okay. Base. Al Pasuk Maris Machpele, Behavior Shteo Des Yachad. The Maris Machpele, he brings both opinions, but he doesn't bring the names. He says, Be'ez Be'libal Gaba, Be'dever Achad, Shukul Bezugas. Like because of Rav Shmuel, Chadamar. He just brings the two opinions. Uh, one opinion is that it's uh, one room within another. Other was that it was doubled in, sorry, one room on top of another. Uh, the other opinion was that it was doubled uh, with um, couples. He doesn't mention that as Rav and Shmuel. Question in Gimel. In his Pirish Amigila, Rashi only quotes Shmuel, that he says that the reason why I mentioned Sayyid Vakush is that Hoyu Vakush were right next to each other, and he ruled over the 127 kingdoms just like he ruled over Hoyu and Kush, which are right next to each other. He doesn't say that this is, first of all, the Chadama, that's only one opinion. He also doesn't mention that it's specifically Shmuel. He just says the Pshat without any names. So we need to say that when he does mention the names of Rav and Shmuel, this is not to explain that they're going according to their Shita, but rather the Kavana is to tell us uh, that they're going according to the Shita in general, and through, uh, and through that we're able to answer a question for a Tamahim. The reason why Rashi would mention is either for one of two reasons, is to say that the viewpoint is relevant for these places, or to answer Shaila Vatan and the Mullah. Habir Bazaar, we needed the done. So the explanation is again, we're trying to explain why is it that Rashi, in our situation, we Yachim Malachadash, and also by Yosef, does he specifically say Rav and Shmuel? Well, usually he does not bother doing that. Rashi number of Yachim Malachadash, Rapashas Balahadgish. Shasibas Havad Mishachma, he Arisha Shomalach Mitzrayim Amay. Because when it says Biyakim Alachadash, the simple interpretation is it's trying to stress that the cause of Havad Mitzchachma is because of the wickedness of Malach Mitzrayim and his people. Shargalman the Amar Chadash Mamish, in Lemish Layadas Yasef, Pusha Layadah Leshama Al Tvar Maisi Yasef, Shehitzel Mitzrayim Kulu Kana, Kula Kana. Because even according to the opinion Rab that says it's Chadash Mamish, you can't say that he literally didn't know about what Yasef did. And he never heard about the acts of Yasef that he saved in Shrine. So therefore, we need to say, which, which is the cause. It's, it's coming to stress that the Sivas of al is because of the Rishus. And, and the wickedness is that he made himself not know about Yasef. And the Chashash, 
that uh, maybe the Bnei Yisrael will multiply and they'll fight against us. Even a five-year-old child understands that doesn't make any sense because the nature of people is not to pay back evil for good. As we see already earlier by Avram Avimelech, that since Avimelech was good to Avram by telling him, My land is in front of you, so Avram made a shvua to do good and chesed with him. And not only to Avimelech, but even to his kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids, and all the people of the land. So, we see this concept, if someone does good for you, you, you pay back good. Since the people, the Bnei Yisrael, knew about the good conduct and the way how the Pari Malach Mitzrayim treated Yosef and the Bnei Yisrael, he saved, took him out of jail, made him to the second king. And without Yosef, nobody could lift up his hands or feet, meaning as he made him second to the king. And then, through the command and the authority of Yosef, Yosef took the Bnei Yisrael and put them in the best land in Eretz Therefore, the king of Mitzrayim and his people understood that the Bnei Yisrael would not try to do bad to them and, and fight against them. Therefore, it's understood that their chashash and their fear that maybe they will multiply and fight against us was just an excuse. It was, it was the the real cause of the gzera, the decrees against the Jewish people, was because of their wickedness. That's what the true uh, Indian is. What was the main rishos? With the Pasuk stressing how evil he was, but what was his main issues? Was it against Hashem or was it against Ben Adam Lechaver, against the Bnei Yisrael? And this idea is explained by Ramez through a hint by Rashi notifying us that the two opinions is really Rav and Shmuel. Sivyot. Isa Gomara, Hilchus Rabbi, Surah Shmuel, Bedina Mabanya. That the rule is that the halacha, whenever the machalik is Rav and Shmuel, the halacha is going to be like Rav when it comes to Isser, which is religious law, and the Shmuelach will be like Shmuel when it comes to monetary law. Biaru HaRishayinim, Estam HaDavar. So the Rishayinim, and the Rebbe quotes from the Rosh and Babakama, the reasoning for this, even though Rav dealt with in Yonei Mamanes, and Shmuel was involved in Isvahater, he says, nonetheless, Shmuel was more accustomed in dealing with Dine Mamanes. Therefore, he was much more careful, and he looked, at a, he looked much deeper about the truth of each thing. Meaning he was a bigger expert. His main ASIC was in Dine Mamanis, and he was a greater expert than Rav when it comes to Dine Mamanis. While Rav, he was more ruggled uh, to deal with Isvahatr, therefore he was the greater expert when it came to Isvahatr, and they relied on his um, Piskei Dinim for that.
So Achilik ben Isuri ben Dine Nemanya who Shisvehatar Haim in Yonam Shrein Alunamakam, the Dine Mamnis Koilalim be Iker in Yonam Shrein Alunachver. He says the main difference between Isvehatar is Isvehatar is between Hashem ben Alunamakim, while Dine Mamnis is Koilal, the main thing, it's, it's also between people and Hashem, but the main thing is between one, a fellow and his friend. Lachem, Hashem Nidon Haya, Inyan Shiyacha Lias Loy Shaychis. Therefore, when we come to a situation which is Shaykh to Ben Adon Lamakim and Ben Adon Khaveri, Rav felt he was more noita, he was more inclined to explain it how it's relevant to Isser, Adon Lamakim, while Shmuel was more inclined to explain how it's connected to Mamain, meaning Adam Lechaveri. Sifirah, if you need to done. According to the Pshat, the Malachadash does not mean a new king, meaning is like Shmuel explains it, then the Rishas bin Adon Lamakim is not that great. He says, according to Ben Adam the it wasn't such a great, wasn't as great of a sin, because he has a good excuse. He's the king; he can do whatever he wants. He says Yaakov Avinu gave him respect when he came in, and when he got out, he blessed him. He, Yaakov treated Pari like a king. He accepted upon himself the rulership and the authority of Pari. So, Mela, if I'm the king and they accepted me as their king. They gave me permission, in a sense, to rule the kingdom as I see fit, and this is how I see fit. So, Mina Shemani has the Fidaitoi, uh, some type of excuse. But when we're talking about Adam Lechaver, and that's what Shmuel focuses on, when we're talking about Rishos, according to Shmuel, he's going to focus on what was his Rishos Ben Adam Lechaver, then if, when you look at his relationship to the Jewish people, then this doesn't help. He says, this is the same Melach that was friends with Yosef. It was the same king. Right? Remember, according to Shmuel, it's the same king. It's just a new, new decrees. So Yosef took care of you. He was your friend. He helped your kingdom. And this is how you treat, even if legally you're allowed to, this is how you treat him and his descendants. How, this is how you treat his descendants. So the Rishos Ben Alachveru is very great. According to Rab, that means it's a new king. Yaakov never gave him covered Malchus. The Bnei Yisrael never accepted upon him, upon themselves, his Malchus and his government. The only thing is he became a king when the Bnei Yisrael were still inside of the tribe. But they didn't come into his gvul and his malchus and accept upon himself his malchus and his authority. Then Harry, then he says, he doesn't have the an excuse to say to to, to say that the, his gzeris are fair, because the bnei Yisrael never accepted upon himself his uh, malchus. In other words. Right, the Bnei Yisrael accepted upon themselves the malchus of the first power, the first government. 
and anything that he would decree. But once you come and you change things up and you're a new Malchus, you're a new type of government, then, then the people have to accept that also. And if they don't accept that, then what right do you have to rule over them and to make these Gezeris? If they accept and say, we want you to be our king, or you're, you're continuing in the same style as the previous king, then fine, you, you accepted this upon yourself. But over here, when it's a new regime, they never accepted it. So how dare you rule over them? What right do you have to rule over another human being? And, especially, and now you're doing bad to them, you're doing evil to them. So therefore, they wouldn't have an excuse. So their rishos klap ishmael would be much greater. So in Achinami, ben on the it's a new guy. So they don't, mash ein kechap le b'nei Yisrael, ve'en adon l'chavere, in the wishes go to the kachach, ne'esam al-chavish le'kifo taifas in the Yisrael. Mash ein kem, ben on l'chavere, the wishes isn't so bad, because he's a new king. He didn't even know Yisrael, or he himself didn't receive any good from Yisrael. So the fees are moving, shekev, and shekasem mad yishes rishosay shoparei, since the Pasuk is coming to stress the wishes of parei, in a rash, when sad yinyane kanat mafarsh rishos zu, yinyane ben adon l'chavere. So, according to Rav, when he wants to explain the Rishos, he's going to explain it in Adam Lamakim. So, therefore, he says it was a Chadash Mamish, and therefore the Rishos Klape Shamai was very bad. But Shmuel, which was always focused on Dine Mamanis, he saw the evil Ben Adam Lachaveri. And therefore, explain that it was the same king, and this person had the worst Akarsa type ever. So, this again explains why Rashi explain, puts the name Rav and Shmuel over here, even though he doesn't bring it in other places in the Torah where he explains Rav and Shmuel. It's because over here it answers a question that Tamil Muluk would have, which is um, what exactly was the Rishus of Pare? And we have, by putting the names Rav and Shmuel, that explains what the Rishus is, and therefore what their uh, explanation of their, uh, of the word Chadash means. Yudbeis. Apiyah now, yuvan atam sheikhs garashi, shumayseim shal rab shmol, gam shtem machalikas delayim. Now we can also understand why Rashi brings the names of Rab and Shmol in the other two machalikas and earlier on. Parashas v'yeshev, kvanus ha-kasof hi-levat l'hadish sitkas yeshev. In Parashas v'yeshev, the Pasuk's kvan is to tell us and to stress the righteousness of yeshev. The whole parish is talking about how great Yosef was. Before this story happened, it tells us how Petifar appointed Yosef over the entire household, and he trusted him with everything, and uh, he gave him full control. Meaning is, Yosef was an honest person. And then he tells us how Petifer's wife is trying to seduce him, and he refuses. And he and he tells the Hapa to do this great evil, so you see how much of a man she is. And she keeps on talking to him day after day, and he keeps on ignoring her. Also afterwards, Tarish tells us how he runs away. And she hops him, and then he literally leaves his clothes by her and runs out. So we see that he's a big time. So So in this parsha, which is talking about his sitkis, we have an argument. Uh, what does malachte mean? Does it mean literally his work or his srach? So the shittas rav According to shittas rav, that the main stress has always been adam lamakim, 
and to stress the men on the Malachim. Therefore, we're going to say, Malachim Amish. So according to Rav, that once again we're trying to show much of a tzaddik he is, then for sure malachte means malachte mamish that he came to do his work. He didn't, God forbid, have any thought to be uh, to, to do an avera, which would be an iser klate shmaya to do such an avera. So he's coming to do his regular work, and. Um, and then it tells us how he ran away from her and he didn't let himself be seduced by her. Uh, and that shows us his great Sitkis Klape Shemaya. But Shmuel wants to stress that some ominous, then Yum Takatam, He wants to stress his Sitkis by saying that even when he wants to do Navera, it's when no one else is there. Meaning, because when he comes to do when he has an off day, he's not uh, being dishonest in his business. So he had an off day. So when would he do an Avera? Not when he's supposed to be working. God forbid. That would be stealing. But when would he do it? It would only be when he already had an off day, when no one's there, when he doesn't have to work. And that's when he would do the Indian of So this, in a sense, it's funny. But in a sense, it stresses his Sitkus ben Adam Lachavera that even when he wants to do Nevera, he's not going to do a Nevera at a time of, uh, which would be stealing, only when he had an off day. And then Bapoyo, we know that um, he didn't do it, according to this interpretation, because he saw the image of his father Yaakov, uh, as the Lord's Saita tells us. But according to the Rav's shot, he never even thought about doing something wrong. It never entered his mind. But according to Shmuel specifically, he did come to do something wrong. Then he saw the image of his father, and as the more insight tells us that caused him to not do that avera. Again, just to point out, very important, um, this is why Rashi mentions Rav and Shmuel. Right? The reason why Rashi is mentioning Rav and Shmuel um, is to give us this hint of, of what the avera is. The reasoning why Rav and Shmuel explain Malachtai or Malachtai Mamish or Lasitzrach of Imai, that has to do with their general So You look at the Teichon and the Ksuvim, or you look at the meaning of the word itself. And obviously, just to point this out, but it's clear that the trans, even according to Rab, the translation of the word has to somewhat fit the Teichen. And according to Shmuel, the translation of the word also has to somewhat fit what the word is actually saying. It's just saying is that when you have two options, one fits better, fits with the Teichen, one fits better inside the Lashen, the other one fits better inside the Teichen, not so well with the Lashen. Each one has his own uh, choices. Um, but the reason Rashi is mentioning it has nothing to do with that. It's just because through that, it's also telling us another issue that what was what was the tzitkas of Yosef? So by mentioning those names, it tells us what the tzitkas was. Yudgimo, Eishel, Rab Shmuel, Chad Amar Pardis Lavi Menu Paris, L'Orchim Asud Lachan Amar Pundel Lachsanya Bay Kamei Nimaichel. So one says it's a pardis, an orchard, bring fruits for guests during the meal. The other says it's a inn that have all types of food. He said Matzab Ben Alon Lachaver Pasha Shapundel Lachsanya Bay Kamei Nimaichel Who Tayv Gedol Yosef Asher Pardis Shap Paris Mavai. But although Chaveri, according to Shmuel, it's obvious that a inn that has all different for, for for lodging and for all different types of foods is a much greater, much greater good toiva uh, than just a pardis for fruit. But when we're saying that he planted a pardis to bring fruits from it, this is stresses much more the Ben Adam Lamakim. Because 
because over through that it stresses a of an album lamakim by Avram Avinu, because we know he says a kolshkein, but we know by Kayin that he brought fruits as a minchal Hashem. So we're saying that parts lahavi many Paris, it doesn't just mean lahavi many Paris for guests. But I think what the Rebbe is trying to say that also means lahavi many Paris for a minchal Hashem. So if Kayin brought a mipriyadav a minchal Hashem, so mekolshkein Avraham would do such a thing to bring from the bad, not the bad fruits like Kayin brought, he brought from the Shavacha fruits, but Avram would have brought from the best fruits as a Mincha Lahashem. And we do know that even in, in the Vesim of English, they had different Minchas that were from Tavua, like the Menaches, which were from uh, barley or from flour, and we had the Bikurim, which were all different, the seven species that Israel was blessed with. So it makes sense that uh, that would be an added Inyan. So yes, Apostas, and it says, right, remember, so it, he he planted the Eishel, the Yikrosham Hashem Hashem. So it fits very well. He planted an Eishel. He was able to call there to Hashem. How is he calling it? Because he's bringing a Mincha. So in addition to the Makar of the people that were there, there was an added element that he's also to be able to bring Kabbalists with them. A Mincha Lashem. This is why Rashi mentions the names of each of them. And he chooses the gears of Rav and Shmuel, not like our gears of the Gemara, Rabbi Yehuda Menchemia, because this gives explanation um, to these pshatim and how each one has a certain maila in its pirish um, about the tzitkis and the mishos or, or, or what the purpose of the Eisho was. Okay. Yudal, hey, Rav, the pirish Rashi, Zebi, Menei, So the lesson from Rashi. Yashnim atayinim, asher achois lana veisa malach, yidid vasek, yidid chadash, there are those who make the taina that we have. We have a sister in in, in the Beis Hamalach. We have a uh, we have a good friend, an old friend or a new friend. Therefore, if there's ever a good gzer on the Bnei Yisrael, we don't need to be worried. And even if it's hapechatera, we should just fulfill it. And even though through fulfilling this decree, which is the opposite of the Torah, he becomes slaves to Parai, and he makes us build Pita Mesramses, and we're doing this work instead of being the servants of Hashem, which is through learning Torah, but nonetheless, they say, they should say, but look, we're living in Mitzrayim, the best of the land. We need to give up. Uh, we need to subdue ourselves to them, just like it happened by Mitzrayim. The Jewish people were like, oh, living in the best of the land in Goshen. He wants us to build the Mitzrayim. says, let's do it. He says, doesn't make a difference if it's Malachadash, like Rab, or it's an old king, like Shmuel says. If his dibber is in this language, or, a single, or the way he's speaking is in a different way, if it's in English or in Egyptian, he says, if he's the king of Mitzrayim, meaning is a king which is causing stress and subjugating the Jewish people when it comes to Yiddishkeit, then this is an Indian of of the Yitzhahara. And therefore, even the chesed that the Goyim are doing is really a chatis. It's really a sin because their intention is not to help us, but rather to cause us to suffer. And to go against Hashem's, Hashem's desires. 
the Gauls Mitzrayim. We need to follow the conduct of the Jewish midwives. In Gauls Mitzrayim, Lassus is a hapeth zeres par kol ben ha-yilud ha-yayra tashlichuhu kol which was the opposite of the Gzer Pari. Pari said that all sons have to be thrown into the Nar, and the daughters you need to make live. We need to do the opposite. The idea is, as explained in many places, the Kavan of Pari is Lashlicham Ulashkion. They wanted to throw them in and to it totally encompassed their lives within Yanam of Avaydazara of Mitzrayim, as it's known that the Yor was the Avaydazara. So throwing them into the Yor means to get them submerged in the Avaydazara of Mitzrayim, which just also means the Mishra's Shalmama kids are being involved only with financial matters and business and jobs. I'm sure Rahman and Slam, Abim, Hem, and Yanam, Elu, Lairak, as a Gufi Yehudi, Alagamis, and Shama, Hayudis. And not only, God forbid, does the physical body of the Jews drown, but even the Neshama drowns. And also the Cholabas Techayim that you should make live, the Rebbe Zedek on the idea of Techayim, you should make live, that's part of the Gzera, because they wanted to make them live and to bring them up in a Ruach and the atmosphere of Mitzrayim, those who are, cause the Jewish people to suffer when it comes to the Yadis. So the Jewish maidservants stood against the Gzer and they did everything that was necessary to give birth and to bring into this world Jewish children uh, which would accept upon themselves proper Yiddish We know we always have to try to do things naturally to work and to talk and to be diplomatic with the Goyim. It needs to be in the same way how Moshe Rebbein comes to speak with Parik. It's true, Moshe Rebbein came to Parik and he actually gave him respect, as we see um, in Rashi, Rashi explains uh, R86 in different places, how Moshe always showed respect to Parik the way that he spoke with him. But nonetheless, he always came with the Mata, the, the staff of God in his hand. Came with Jewish pride and with Jewish strength and getlicha strength, not to come with a very subdued and humble spirit in front of the guy. And it's obvious not to hide and your, your Yiddishkeit, but you come rather with the pride of your Yiddishkeit. Meaning is you come diplomatically, but you don't hide who you are. You come with Yiddish pride, but still you show proper respect. You could do both things. And he says, through this conduct, not to, um, not to conduct oneself according to the exerus of the country, which are not fitting and does not fit with the demands of Yiddishkeit. And also to give ourselves completely over to for the Yidin, the kids, then we will have legions of, uh, of soldiers for Hashem's army. This will bring uh, a healthy Yidin who are healthy, and this will bring the Geula of all